0: So Mothering Sunday, Mother's Day, uh, we had a family get-together. And uh, there's um, uh, Richard's nephew. Have a chat to him. We always talk religion and politics. I mean, luckily no sex. But anyway, so there we were on religion. And he says, why do we bother about the Old Testament? Why do we need it? Because I think that is a commonly held view, isn't it? All we need is Jesus. We have Jesus, we have the Gospels, and uh, we can make the best of interpreting it for today. um, But all we need is Jesus. So I hope that over the past few weeks, we have seen that we can't really understand Jesus unless we have the Old Testament. Because the scriptures have shaped Jesus's understanding of himself and his mission. And it only makes sense with the backdrop of the Old Testament to understand the character of God and his purposes in history. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that we looked at. Jesus is the good shepherd replacing the bad shepherds who were the Jerusalem elites. We looked at that. And there's Jesus inaugurating a new way of being put right with God which is what we're going to be looking at this week. So a bit of a recap here the Jews were waiting for their Messiah they still are primarily a king in the line of David that's what they hoped for they hated the Roman occupation so what were the options? Well for those that wanted wealth and a slight um, a bit of power collaboration seemed the only option. And the Roman Empire operated with the cooperation of local elites. So Jewish rulers like Herod and those tax collectors like Matthew helped fund the Roman Rome machine. And others then thought that they should focus on their holy lives to be set apart, follow the Torah, be righteous, look after the temple, and sustain the sacrificial system. So being as Jewish as they could in their purity codes and celebrating festivals, keeping their, um, their history alive and their identity alive. So that's the Pharisees. But then there were ones that thinking, well, hang on a minute, we need restoration. We want to go back to the olden age of King David. So that's the zealots, Barabbas, he was in prison for murder, insurrection because there had been an uprising so the presence of all these large crowds in jerusalem for the passover which was of course big concern for the roman authorities and then what about jesus's merry band of brothers well as i said there was matthew the tax collector and then simon the zealot and some of them had accepted the idea that jesus was more than a man he was more than a prophet He was more than a Jewish leader. He was the Messiah as revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And they hoped he was going to fulfill all the prophecies. And they thought that meant freedom from Roman rule, reestablishment of Jewish self-determination. So back to the olden golden days. So when we get to this time of Passover, There is this heightened tension because Jesus has warned his disciples he's gonna be handed over to the authorities and he's going to die a very cruel and humiliating death. And we know that Jewish leaders hate Jesus and they want him killed, but they need the help of the Roman authorities and the governor. And yet somehow they thought Jesus was still going to become a king in the line of David. He was the one. was going to redeem Israel and that would mean being anointed by a priest or a prophet and therefore leading worship in the temple and getting rid of Roman occupation but time was really running out so what about the Passover festival because we're looking today at why Jesus remembered the Passover at the Last Supper Well we know that Jesus went up to Jerusalem at the age of 12 and that was for the Passover festival and he was with his family and then his parents lost him and they found him in the temple and they were really cross but he said what's the problem wouldn't you find me in my father's house so the annual Passover festival would have been integral to Jesus's way of life and Matthew makes it really clear in his gospel to a Jewish audience that the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples is the Passover meal. So in verses 17 to 19, it does mention the Passover three times. I hope you mentioned, you um, saw that. So they're all in Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival. And the focus of that is a meal shared, usually in families, but also among friends. But it is a celebration. It's a freedom party. It's a kingdom party, because God had set them free from Egypt, and he was going to lead them to the promised land. So it was now the time that Jesus was going to set them free from Rome. Now, I wonder how many people here have been to a Passover meal. Have you been to a Jewish Passover meal? Wonderful, wonderful. I think it really, um, it really helps understand what Jesus was doing. And I think that's why Christians do the cedar meal, um, just to sort of get a flavor of the um, of what was going on. So Passover now is usually in a family home, and that you do because there isn't any temple. There are set words to say and symbolic foods to eat. So I have a plate here with sort of the um, the most important bits on it. So they have a little bowl of salt water. And um, a salt water, which um, symbolizes the tears of misery of the Egyptian uh, slaves, the Hebrew slaves. And then there are some herbs, you had them in your soup, and these signify the hyssop that they would have um, daubed the blood of the lamb on the um, doorpost, but also the unleavened bread. And what would happen, one of the um, unlevered. this is the, the, mat, the matzah, symbolizes the lamb that was slain. And so the, the father, oh, sorry. So at the Passover, the Jews would give thanks that God had chosen them from among all the peoples and had made them holy through his word. So Passover is a celebration of the freedom God gave them and in memory of their departure from Egypt. So the Hebrews are in slavery and God rescues them. So the father, I can't really do it with this, but anyway, the father raises the bread and says, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are in need come and celebrate the Passover. And then he breaks it and then he passes it round the whole family and everybody has a small bit. So the whole liturgy is steeped in symbolism. And then there is the cup of blessing. The blessing for God, for his grace, his loving kindness and mercy. There's four cups. There's also Elijah's cup, which is a spare goblet waiting because they knew from prophecy that Elijah was going to return before the Messiah. And that's why people thought that Jesus might have been Elijah But Jesus told them that Elijah has already come, and that was John the Baptist. And then there is the fourth cup of judgment. Judgment on all the enemies of God, the nations who don't acknowledge God and who do not honor his name. And then the ending of the Passover is thankfulness. And they say, God has redeemed, freed, fed, delivered, saved, and spared his people. Therefore, with all our being, we will thank, bless, praise, glorify, exalt, reverence, sanctify, ascribe kingship to you, O Lord our King. So there is thankful and humble worship of who God is. That's the Passover. But Jesus says different things, and this is so surprising for the disciples. Hang on. These words that we've said all our lives, we can say them in our sleep. He's only gone and changed the words. I mean, it's shocking even. But then, this night, is different in so many ways. Jesus, for example, washed their feet. I mean, the servant is supposed to do that. And Jesus says, someone's going to betray him. And this is in the closest um, group of disciples. But Jesus says, take this bread... And eat it. It is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper he took the cup. Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. It is shed for you and for many so that your sins can be forgiven. What? Jews don't drink blood. They definitely don't. So can you see that the liturgy of the communion is built with the scaffolding of the Jewish Passover? So Jesus takes the Passover meal and uses it to say that God is working in a new way to forgive people's sins and to restore them as his people. We might like to think of a birthday party with all the funny things we do. So if an alien came in and asked us what what our celebration's all about, I wonder what we'd say. The alien might say, well, why is a birthday any different to another day? And how would we explain wearing party hats and eating party food that might not be very good for us? Or giving presents to just one person Or actually explain lighting candles on a cake and then blowing them out. Because after a while it becomes a bit difficult to explain, doesn't it? But really we just want to get on and celebrate the person whose birthday it is and to enjoy coming together and being with our family and our friends. And then we might think the birthday person, we might think of the day they were born and have some funny stories about that and then celebrate the day with them and be happy to be together. And then we say, many happy returns of the day. We hope that life is going to continue. So in a similar vein, Passover is celebrating the past and it's a continuity of family and community history to the present and then the hope of the future. So we look back to redemption and the rescue from slavery. We reflect, the Israelites reflected on where they were in the present. God has been our help thus far. And that we're thankful that we're here. And then we can look forward to the redemption to come, their promised land. So I tried this out yesterday, I had some friends around for lunch, and we all used to be in the same home group together. And so I made a pudding that someone used to bring and we used to have with our coffee before we started. So they all recognized the pudding. And so I told them why I had made it. It's so that we could think about the time we were together in our home group and the time we are now. Some are still in that home group and some, some are not. But then being encouraging one another for the future as well. So it's this idea of... Um, well, how great food is, and how we can celebrate together in that way. But just thinking about the Passover in Exodus, if we remember, it was a terrifying night of judgment. It was the 10th plague in Egypt, when the angel of death would pass over every household and kill every firstborn son. So the Israelites were to kill and eat a sacrificial lamb and then daub its blood on their lintels. So Jesus was saying, you know the story of the Passover, and now you can remember my story. I am the sacrificial lamb that will be killed, and my blood will be shed for you, and you will be saved from the angel of death and God's judgment. If we shelter under the blood. And what else did Jesus say in the Last Supper with his friends before he dies? Well in verse 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Just as God's relationship with this people of Israel is based on covenant, which is signed in blood. So from Exodus 24, verse 8, on Mount Sinai, the Mosaic covenant is ratified in the blood of animal sacrifice. But now God is going to have a relationship with people through the blood of Jesus, which signifies his violent death on the cross. But what is new about this covenant is that it's unilateral. what Dave really worried about has just happened to me. (laughs) It's fine, it's fine. This this covenant is unilateral because God promises to make us his children and Jesus commits to laying down his life for us even though we cannot fulfill our part of the bargain. And Jesus knows we can't because, in the very next lines, Jesus predicts that they will all desert him and Peter will deny him. I mean, Peter insists that he won't. The others might desert you, but I will never desert you. Peter tried, but he failed. And we all do but Jesus is faithful. So the basis of our covenant with God is the blood of Christ. So what must we do? We can take shelter from judgment under the blood of Christ because Christ, Jesus has done it all. Imagine in Egypt, the firstborn son worried that his father hasn't daubed the doorway with the lamb's blood he goes to bed he just can't sleep so he goes down to his dad his abba and he says have you have you done the blood yet this is a bit more important than the bins yes yes he says go back to bed go back to bed and he does he just can't sleep and he goes but down again dad have you done the blood and then dad thinks about it and he thinks, oh, I better go and, go and check. And then he sees, no, he's forgotten. The blood, it's still in the bowl. So he quickly daubs, daubs the blood on the, on the door. And then his son can go to sleep without worrying that he might die at midnight. So we can be sure that we are safe. Because Jesus' blood is already on the lintel. Jesus has died and shed his blood. He seals seals the deal. And not only are we saved from that terrible judgment, we're also given a future. Verse 29 says, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the Lord's Supper or communion looks forward to God's heavenly feast when Jesus comes again to redeem humanity and the whole of creation. So there is a plan in history. God has brought us from somewhere and he is leading us somewhere else. So communion is a freedom party and it is a kingdom party. It links us to the Passover supper with Jesus and then with the fledgling churches in Turkey and then with all the Christians all over the world. We are all the body of Christ. So communion in that sense also is an eternal celebration. And it's not just remembering but somehow Jesus is present. His past event rushes forward to meet us in the present. Jesus' presence gives us hope for the future. He comes from the future. He assures us of our future hope. The entire renewed world The Israelites were promised freedom from slavery and a promised land. But when it came to it, they were too afraid. They didn't trust God, and a whole generation never entered the promised land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. So do we trust God? And what are the things that are going to keep our hope alive? Are we ever going to get to our destination well, Jesus is already there. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. And we have God's word and God's promises. And communion symbolizes these truths. So meaning comes from God's past and God's future. So the food of communion ensures us that we're on the right road. And that is why we proclaim Jesus' death until he returns. Jesus tells us to take, eat, and drink. And we're going to do that in a moment. So communion uses symbols like the Passover did, like a birthday party does. So in a communion, it is like a birthday party. We look back to Jesus' life, we enjoy him in the present, and we look forward to him in the future. And we use what symbols we have, the food and the drink. So we take the bread We break and eat it. We take the wine. We share it round. We are there at the last supper. And we are there in his new world. So all the past, the present and the future, they all come together. And communion should be a sign of unity and love. A sharing meal. Sharing with Jesus and with others. And a thank you meal. In Greek, thank you is eucharisto and that so that's what we're saying in communion we're saying there is nothing we can do to earn god's forgiveness and favor all is gift jesus has done all that is required so our lives are based on jesus once and for all sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated he has sealed the deal so our part is to take And eat and be thankful to give our lives to Jesus as he gave his life for us and to be filled with his Holy Spirit and we commit to loving God and loving one another in John's gospel Jesus says as I have loved you so you must love one another he washed his disciples feet and he laid down his life for us we should follow his example and show self-sacrificial love, and walk in the way of obedience. So, let us prepare ourselves to take communion together.